0: Hi folks, my name is Arya and I welcome you all to this live session regarding cross-site scripting. So in today's session, we are gonna be discussing what exactly is cross-site scripting, the different types of cross-site scripting, and the repercussions of cross-site scripting may unfortunately happen to you. Then we'll also be discussing how you can prevent cross-site scripting. And in the end, I'll be showing you guys a neat little demonstration on the different types of cross-site scripting that we're gonna discuss throughout the course of this video. Okay, so let's get started. So first of all, what exactly is cross-site scripting? Well, cross-site scripting refers to client-side code injection attacks, wherein an attacker can execute a malicious script, also commonly referred to as a malicious payload, into a legitimate website or web application. Now, XSS is amongst the most rampant of web application vulnerabilities and occurs when a web application makes use of something like an unvalidated or unencoded user input within the output that it generates. Now, by leveraging XSS, an attacker does not target a victim directly. Instead, an attacker would be exploiting a vulnerability within a website or something like a web application that the victim would visit, and essentially using the vulnerable website or the web application as a vehicle to deliver a malicious script to the victim's browser. Now, while XSS can be taken at the advantage of uh, within a VirtualBox script, ActiveX, and Flash, Unquestionably, the most widely abused is JavaScript. This is mostly because JavaScript is the fundamental to any browsing experience. All the modern sites today have some JavaScript framework running in the background. Now, XSS can be used in a range of ways to cause serious problems. Well, the traditional is uses of XSS is the ability for an attacker to steal session cookies, allowing an attacker to probably impersonate a victim, and that just, is, and that just doesn't stop there. So XSS has been used to wreak havoc on social websites, spread malware, website defecaments, and fish for credentials, and even used in conjunction with some clever social engineering techniques to escalate to even more damaging attacks. Now, cross-site scripting can be classified into three major categories. So the first is reflected cross-site scripting. The second is stored or persistent cross-site scripting. And the third is DOM-based cross-site scripting. So out here DOM refers to the document object model that is used while web application building. So let's take a moment to discuss the three types of cross-site scripting. So the first one we're gonna be discussing is reflected cross-site scripting. Now by far the most common type of cross-site scripting that you'll be coming across is probably reflected cross-site scripting. Here, the attacker's payload is a script and has to be part of a request which is sent to the web server and reflected back in such a way that the HTTP response includes the payload from the HTTP request. Now using a phishing email and other social engineering techniques, the attacker lures in the victim to inadvertently make a request to the server which contains the cross-site scripting payload and then he ends up executing the script that gets reflected and executed inside his own browser. Now since reflected cross-site scripting isn't really a persistent kind of attack, the attacker needs to deliver this payload to each victim that he wants to serve. So a medium like a social network is very conveniently used for dissemination of these attacks. So now let's take a step-by-step look at how cross-site scripting actually works. So firstly, the attacker crafts a URL containing a malicious string and sends it to the victim. Now the poor victim is tricked by the attacker into requesting the URL from the website, which is running a website response script. And then the website includes the malicious string from the URL in the response. And then in the end, the victim's browser executes the malicious script inside the response, sending the victim's cookies to the attacker's server. OK, so at first, reflected XSS might seem very harmless because it requires the victim himself to actually send a request containing a malicious string. Now, since nobody would be willingly attacking himself, so there seems to be no way of actually performing the attack. But as it turns out, there are at least two common ways of causing a victim to launch a reflected cross-site attack on himself. So the first way is if the user or targets a specific individual and the attacker can send the malicious URL to the victim, for example, using a email or, for example, instant messaging, and then trick him into visiting the site. Secondly, if the user targets a large group of people, The attacker then can publish the link or the malicious URL on his own website or social media and then he'll just wait for visitors to click on it. So these two methods are similar and both can be very successful with the use of a URL shortening service like one provided by Google. So this masks the malicious string from users who might otherwise identify it. Okay, so that was all about reflected cross-site scripting. Let's move on to stored cross-site scripting now. So the most damaging type of cross-site scripting that is there today is persistent or stored cross-site scripting. In stored cross-site scripting attacks, it attacks, uh, I'm sorry, in stored cross-site scripting attacks, uh, the attacker is injecting a script into the database that is permanently stored on the target application. So a classic example is a malicious script inserted by an attacker in the comment field or on a blog or a forum post. So when a victim navigates to the affected web page now in a browser, the cross-site scripting payload will be served as a part of the web page, just like any legitimate comment would be. Now this means that the victim will be inadvertently ended up ending up executing the malicious script once a page is viewed in the browser. Now let's also take a step-by-step look at how cross-site scripting in the stored version works. So the attacker uses one of the website's form to insert a malicious string into the website's database first. Now the victim unknowingly requests a page from the website And Then the website includes the malicious string from the database in the response and then sends it to the victim Now the poor victim will be actually executing the malicious script inside the response and sending all the cookies to the attacker's server so that's basically how Stored or persistent cross-site scripting works now It's time for the last type of cross-site scripting which is document object model based cross-site scripting so dom based cross site scripting is an advanced type of cross site scripting attack so which is made possible when the web application's client side script writer uses provided data to the document object model so basically it means that data is subsequently read from the document object model by the web application and outputted to the browser So if the data is incorrectly handled in this place, an attacker can very well inject a payload, which will be stored as a part of the document object model and then executed when the data is read back from the DOM. Now, let's see how that actually happens. So first, the attacker crafts a URL containing a malicious string and sends it to the victim. Now this victim is again tricked by the attacker into actually requesting the URL from the website. This is like the primary step in actually performing cross-site scripting. Now the third step is that the website receives the request, but does not include the malicious string in the response. Here's the catch of DOM-based cross-site scripting. So now the victim's browser executes the legitimate script inside the response, causing the malicious script to be inserted into the page, that is basically into the inner HTML attributes. And the final step is then the victim's browser then executes the malicious script inserted into the page, and then just sends the victim the cookies to the attacker's server. Now, if you guys must have realized, in the previous examples of persistent and reflected cross-site scripting, the server inserts the malicious script into the page, which is then sent as a response to the victim. Now, when the victim's browser receives the response, it assumes that the malicious script is to be a part of the page's legitimate content and then automatically executes it during page load as with any other script would be. But in a DOM-based attack, there is no malicious script inserted as a part of the page. The only scripts that are being actually automatically automatically executed during the page load is legitimate part of the page. So that's the scary part. So the problem is that this legitimate script directly makes user input in order to add HTML to the page. So the malicious string is inserted into the page using inner HTML. So it's passed as HTML. So mostly people who are actually servicing or surveying any server for cross-site scripting attacks, they will not be actually checking the client side. So it's a very subtle difference, but it's very important. So in traditional cross-site scripting, the malicious JavaScript is actually executed when the page is loaded as a part of the HTML server. And in DOM-based cross-site scripting, the malicious JavaScript is executed at some point after the page has already been loaded because the page's legitimate JavaScript treating user input is using it in an unsafe way. So now that we have actually discussed all the three types of cross-site scripting that is varied, uh, that is widely available today, now let's see what can actually happen if cross-site scripting were, if you were actually a victim of cross-site scripting, I'm sorry. So let's see what can happen if you actually were a victim of cross-site scripting. So the consequences of what an attacker can do with the ability to execute JavaScript on a web page may not immediately stand out to you guys, but especially since browsers like, Java, like Chrome run JavaScript in a very tightly controlled environment these days. And JavaScript has very limited access to users operating systems and user files. But when considering that JavaScript has the access to the following that we're gonna discuss, we can only see how creative JavaScript uh, attackers can get. So firstly, with malicious JavaScript has access to all the same objects that the rest of the web page has. So this includes a thing called cookies. Now cookies are often used to store session tokens and if an attacker can obtain a user session cookie They can impersonate that user anywhere on the internet Secondly JavaScript can read and make arbitrary modifications to the browser's document object model So your page will just be incorporated with all sorts of scripts and viruses without you even knowing from the server side Now JavaScript can be used with the XML HTTP request to send HTTP requests with arbitrary content to arbitrary destinations. And the most scary part is that JavaScript in modern browsers can leverage HTML5 APIs, such as accessing a user's geolocation, webcam, microphone, and whatnot, and even specific files from the user's file system. Now while most of these APIs require the users to opt in, Cross-site scripting with in conjunction with some very clever social engineering can bring an attacker a very long way Now the above in combination with social engineering as I just said allows an attacker to pull off advanced attacks Including cookie theft key logging phishing and identity theft too Now critically cross-site scripting vulnerabilities provide the perfect ground for attackers to escalate attacks to more serious ones So now that we understand what cross-site scripting attacks are and how damaging they can be to your application, let's dive into the best known practices that are actually followed to prevent them in the first place. So the first mechanism that is used is called escaping. So escaping data means that taking data an application has received and ensuring that it's secure before actually rendering it for the end user. Now, by escaping user input, key characters in the data received by a web page will be prevented from being interpreted in any malicious sort of way. Now, in a sense, you're censoring the data your web page receives in a way that will disallow characters, especially those brackets that begin the HTML attributes, like in HTML and IMG. So these will be stopped from being rendered, which would otherwise cause harm to your application and users and database. But if your page doesn't allow users to add their own code to the page a good rule of thumb is normally to escape any and all HTML URL and JavaScript entities However, if you are running a forum and you do allow users to add rich text to your content You have a few choices. So firstly you will need to carefully choose which HTML entities you will escape and which you won't or by replacement format for raw HTML such as Markdown, which will in turn allow you to continue escaping all the sorts of HTML characters. Now the second method that is normally used is called validating input. So validating input is the process of ensuring an application is rendering the correct data and preventing malicious data from doing harm to the site, the database, and the users. So while whitelisting and input validation are more commonly associated with stuff like SQL injection, they can also be used as an additional method of prevention for cross-site scripting attacks. So input validation is especially helpful and good at preventing cross-site scripting in forms as it prevents a user from adding special characters into the fields instead of refusing the request completely. But input input validation is not the primary method of prevention for vulnerabilities, such as cross-site scripting and even SQL injection for that example, but instead they help to reduce the effects should an attacker actually discover such a vulnerability in your system. Now the third way to prevent cross-site scripting attack is to sanitize user input. So sanitizing data is a strong defense, but should not be used alone to battle cross-site scripting attacks it's totally possible that you find the need to use all three methods of prevention in working towards a more secure application. Now, as you guys might notice that sanitizing user inputs is especially helpful on sites that allow HTML markup to ensure data received can do no harm to users as well as your database by scrubbing the data clean of potentially harmful markup and changing the unacceptable user input into an acceptable format. Okay guys, so that was all the theory about cross-site scripting. Now that's it from me, goodbye.